What a glorious truth we have just sung to encourage us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the lyrics of the song we have just sung in the, in the stanza, the second stanza, uh, to see Christ the lion awake. To see Christ the lion awake. What a glorious dawn. Fear of death is gone, for we carry his life in our veins. That is glorious truth to declare this morning. About people, we often say, they lived and they died. But about Jesus, we say, he died and he lives. That is incredible news. This morning, we are going to do something a little unusual than we typically do. We've been working through the book of Romans in the life of this congregation for the last few months. And this morning, we want to look at how the Apostle Paul speaks about the resurrection in the book of Romans. So my challenge as I have been looking forward to this Sunday, thinking through what should I preach about the resurrection from the book of Romans? As I meditated on all the passages, I was initially going to take just one text, but I realized there's seven passages in the book of Romans that speak about the resurrection of Jesus. And all of them declare some incredible wonders about the resurrection of Jesus. Instead of taking just one text, here's what we'll do different. We will look at the seven wonders of the resurrection in the book of Romans. We will work through the book of Romans in the seven passages to gain an appreciation of what and how the Apostle Paul spoke about the resurrection of Jesus. So the message this morning is the wonders of the resurrection in Romans. But here is one observation. As I worked my way through the seven passages, Here's one observation that surprised me. Only one of them is mentioned for the sake of Jesus. The other six are mentioned for our sake. So this leads me to make the following claim in this message this morning, the resurrection of Jesus was not just for Jesus, but for us. If I can make it even simpler than that, the resurrection of Jesus is for us. For you and for me. This news is not only about Jesus. It's for you and it's for me. 
Christ rose from the grave not merely for his sake, but for our sake. The resurrection of Jesus was not simply so that Jesus could live again, but so that we could live again. So this morning, the news that God raised Jesus from the dead is for us today. This news is incredible news if you and I place our trust in him. Would you join me in asking God to bless the preaching of this word, and then we're going to work our way through the book of Romans and examine the seven wonders of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Gracious Father, we are so privileged to hear what you have done in Jesus for us. Father, I pray that as we open your word in the various facets and the various places of the book of Romans, that you would open our minds, give us understanding, and open our hearts, give us obedience of heart so that we may believe, that we may put our trust in Christ for salvation. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Seven wonders about the resurrection of Jesus. Wonder number one. Would you turn to Romans 1? Romans chapter 1. The first wonder is the resurrection reveals who is in ultimate power. The resurrection reveals who is in ultimate power. Listen to how the Apostle Paul opens this uh, letter. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you hear what Paul is doing in the very first four verses of this book? He's not even done with the first four verses of the book, and he's already mentioning the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Paul wants us to know who is ultimately in power. It is Jesus, the Son of God. He is in power. He's declared to be an ultimate authority. Friends, I wonder how long does it take you and me to talk about Jesus. And once we start talking about Jesus, to bring up the resurrection. Think about it. How often, when you speak about Jesus, how long does it take you to bring up the resurrection of Jesus? Here is Paul bringing up Jesus from the very first verse of this letter. And by the time he is just barely finished with verse 4, he has already declared the resurrection of Jesus. How long does it take you when you bring up Jesus to talk about his resurrection? The resurrection proves that Jesus was the divine son of God. While Jesus was on the earth, he taught that he had come from God. He said to the Jewish leaders that he existed 
before Abraham was. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jewish leaders realized very quickly what he meant by that. Jesus was claiming that he existed even before Abraham existed. And they wanted to stone him. Jesus taught and claimed that he was God. They said, well, that's nice and courageous and bold. But even a lunatic, even someone who has mental health challenges might utter words that are just not true. Simply uttering the words is not hard. Even a lunatic could claim that he is God. But when it came to Jesus, it was not mere words. We have his resurrection. Claiming Proving that when Jesus earlier, prior to this moment, he said in front of Lazarus's tomb when he spoke to Martha and to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Those words were not empty words. Six days later, those words were accompanied by the proof that this guy is what he says he is. He rose from the dead. So now Paul, when he presents his apostleship, when he says, here's why I am sent to make this news known, it's because of this son, because of this person who descended from David and who was declared to be the son of God in power through his resurrection from the dead. Oh, friends, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the divine Son of God who has authority over life and over death. He truly is the resurrection and the life. But the point this verse is making is not simply that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. The point this verse is making, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. He has been the Son of God all along. He's been the Son of God when he was born of Virgin Mary. He's, he was the Son of God when he worked his miracles. And even in the events of the Good Friday, which we celebrated three days ago, Jesus was still the Son of God in weakness, the man of sorrows, in suffering, carrying his own cross, and to, at a moment not able to carry it any longer, needing help. Even then he was the son of God in weakness, suffering, and death. We saw Friday night how even in the weakness of death, Jesus destroyed the devil who has the power of death. And Jesus delivered people who are in bondage to the fear of death. All that Jesus accomplished through death in the weakness of death. Jesus has been the Son of God, even in suffering and in death. That's why he was able to destroy and to deliver even in death. But now, 
By his resurrection, Jesus declares that he is the son of God in a new state. In the state of power. The state of exaltation. And he is now exerting a power that he has not had before. The power to have defeated death in his own body. Well, friends, Jesus was not just passively waiting for somebody else to raise him. We often talk, and rightly so, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and that is true. But Jesus also had the authority to pick up his life, to take it up again. He said in John, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to pick it up again. It is only on the Resurrection Sunday that Jesus exercised that authority for the first time ever. Because only now he had been killed. He is the Son of God in power. You and I don't have the authority to, to tell our dead bodies, rise up again. When we are laid in the tomb, we're laid in the tomb. We're done. When Jesus laid in the tomb, he was not done. He destroyed the devil. We saw Friday. He delivered those who are in the fear of death. But he also had the power on the third day to rise up again. He is the son of God in power. No tomb could keep him any longer. No walls could restrain him. Friend, if you are not sure what to make of this Jesus that we are proclaiming as Christians, can I ask you to consider this? If the priest could not silence Jesus by killing him, if death could not keep him in its clutches by withholding him, do you think you can ignore this Jesus forever? If he holds this kind of power, do you think you can avoid him, ignore him, keep him at a distance forever? And do you think that your power and your self-life and control is somehow going to be stronger than when he comes in power again to judge the living and the dead? Oh, friends, Paul speaks about the resurrection of this Jesus to show the authority on which he, Paul, was, submit, was sent and, and sent out, commissioned to proclaim this news. Friends, our proclamation of this good news of the gospel is grounded not in our power, not in our gimmicks, how to make this gospel more relevant. It is grounded in the power of the resurrected Christ. Our only authority to make this news known is because Jesus is declared to be the Son of God in power through his resurrection. Dear Christian, when you and I feel timid about speaking about Jesus to others, remember that you're speaking about the one who is the Son of God in power. You don't need to make your gospel proclamation more, quote, powerful. Just get to Jesus. 
and talk about his power to overcome death. Get to the resurrection. Let his power be the power of your evangelism. Get to talk about him. Let your timidity, let your timidity be unleashed by recognizing that the lion is awake. You don't need to give more power to an awake lion. Just let him loose. The lion is awake. Jesus defeated death, and this resurrection news, Paul says and uses this announcement that Jesus resurrected to tell us who is in ultimate power. That's the first wonder of the resurrection. But remember, all this power that Jesus exerted, he exerted not only for himself, but for us. So the remaining six points of the message this morning is to unfold what are the benefits that we gain from the fact that Jesus is in power. That the Son of God is in power now. Point number two, the resurrection makes possible our right standing with God. The resurrection makes possible our right standing with God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 22 to 25. Chapter 4, verse 22, all the way to verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, and he's giving the story about Abraham and how Abraham believed God and how that belief in God was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And Paul brings the conclusion of the story of Abraham, the example of Abraham, and he says this in verse 22. That is why his faith, namely Abraham's, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Why was Jesus raised from the dead? Verse 25 says, he was raised for our justification. In verse 25, we have one of the shortest summaries about Jesus or the shortest summaries of the gospel. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's say that out loud together. He was raised. Let's do this again. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our sins is the reason why he was crucified. Our guilt is what he came to abolish through his death, paying for it with his blood. And because his payment for sin has been paid for in full, now sinners can be declared right with God. This is what it means to be justified. To be declared righteous in the sight of God. Even though we have not done anything 
to earn that righteousness. When we come to recognize and embrace by faith that Jesus was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification, we, any of us, anyone who hears this news, can be counted righteous before God by faith. This is the great news of the gospel, my dear friends. This is what's called the justification by grace. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul spoke about how we are justified by the blood of Jesus. Paul said in chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you, and that includes me. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a covering, as an averting of God's wrath, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We're justified by His blood, is Romans 3. But in Romans 4, Paul says, we're justified by His resurrection. That's the amazing part. Jesus is using His resurrection, His resurrection power, in order to prove the case that we are declared righteous before God. The resurrection of Jesus shows that the payment Jesus made for sinners who trust in Christ was fully accepted by the Father. So now, this resurrection that we proclaim and believe in is for our justification. Oh, friends, the resurrection of Jesus validates that our justification is valid. That's the amazing news. That's why we want to say Jesus' resurrection is for us. Friend, the resurrection of Jesus was not simply so that Jesus could live again, but so that you and I can be declared righteous before God. Oh, friends, it took the death and the resurrection of Jesus to make us right with God. In his resurrection, it is not only that Jesus is vindicated, we too are vindicated. Our case before the eternal judge is vindicated through the resurrection of Jesus. When God vindicated Jesus, he vindicated us. All those who unite themselves to Christ by faith. Friends, are you united to Christ through faith? Could you say, would others say, that you have united yourself to Christ by faith? If so, His resurrection is your justification. If you're not yet sure whether you're united to Christ by faith, then rightly you may not be sure if this justification is yet yours. If that's the case, we're going to plead with you today, consider embracing Jesus by faith. Be united with Him. Ask God to save you. And you will be justified. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. That's 
benefit or wonder number one, which is point number two in our sermon. Point number three, benefit number two. We're going to go a little off here. I'll just keep your attention going. The third wonder of the resurrection is not only that Jesus is in power and that his resurrection is for our justification, benefit number three and wonder number three, the resurrection enables our new life with God. The resurrection enables our new life with God. Turn to chapter 6 in the book of Romans. We're going to look at a longer passage from verse 1 to verse 11. The resurrection enables our new life with God. Look at how Paul speaks about the resurrection in this text. Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What glorious truths we get from this passage about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us. The resurrection of Jesus is not only so that he can live his life for God, but as verse 11 is so that we too can live our lives for God. The resurrection of Jesus does not only declare us right with God, but enables us to live our lives for him. And here's a logic that Paul is making in this text. Jesus died for our sins so that we could die with him to our sins. Friends, the only sin you and I can die to is the sin that Jesus died for. Because in the, die, in the death of Jesus, he disarmed the power of sin. So that you and I can be enabled by the Spirit of God to die to our sin. Without the death of Jesus for our sin, you and I cannot die to our sin. So Paul's argument here is, when we are united to Christ in his death, in his death for sin. 
we can actually die to sin. We are enabled to die with Christ to sin. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, we are enabled to walk, to live a new life that we now live for God. No longer for ourselves. Well, friends, this is the amazing news that we get in the gospel, that we are not only declared righteous before God, but we are also receiving the life of God into our souls. And therefore, this earthly life, we can now begin to live for God. Friends, the amazing power of the resurrected Jesus is that so that you and I can live our lives for God. Dear Christian, you're not alone. You're not left to your own power to live your life for God. God resurrected Jesus so that we can be enabled to live a new life for God. Point number four. The resurrection enables our fruitfulness for God. The resurrection enables our fruitfulness for God. Move to chapter 7, verse 4. Paul continues this theme. He's in the section of the book of Romans when he speaks about the Christian life. And he says in chapter, four, chapter uh, 7, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. What was the purpose of Jesus' resurrection in this verse? To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Fruitfulness for God. This is what the people of Israel failed to bring in the Old Testament time and time again. To be fruitful for God. Remember in Isaiah 5, God gave a picture of his people being a vineyard that was planted by the Lord, tended and cared for by the Lord, protected by the Lord, but they would not bear any fruit. So the Lord brought the exile upon his people. Because on their own, they tried to do it on their own. They tried to obey God's law on their own, on their own terms. There was no fruitfulness. None whatsoever. So when Jesus came, he said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. The branch remains in me. My word remains in you and you remain in me. You will bear much fruit. And here the Apostle Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Well, friends, in our text, we now understand what it takes for sinners to bear fruit for God. It's to belong to the one who has been raised from the dead. We belong to him by faith. We belong to him when we trust him and rely on him. And his resurrection makes our fruitfulness finally possible. Oh, friends, this is why simply pursuing morality is a dead-end street. It will prove powerless in the end. Our only hope to be fruitful 
for God is to be united to Jesus by faith. That's what faith does in us and for us. It unites us to Christ so that his power of the resurrection begins working in us, defeating sin and ultimately defeating death. The resurrection enables our fruitfulness for God. Benefit number five. The resurrection provides hope for our resurrection. The resurrection provides hope for our resurrection. Turn to chapter 8. In chapter 8, we'll look at verse 11. Paul continues to speak about the Christian life in this section of the book of Romans. And he says this in chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who, was ra- he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul is very realistic about our bodies in this passage. He does not call them beautiful bodies. He does not call them healthy bodies. He does not call them energetic bodies. He does not even call them good-looking bodies. When I was in sales school, selling books in Oklahoma door-to-door as a college student, they trained us how to encourage ourselves every morning because we're going to face crazy discouragement throughout the day. 12, 14 hours working in Oklahoma, selling books door to door was excruciating. So they had some ideas of how to encourage us, uh, how to, to give ourselves some boosting every morning. And one of the lines they encouraged us to repeat is to look in the mirror and say, good looking body, don't you ever die. Good looking body, don't you ever die. And supposedly, that was an encouragement to keep us going, to put up with the rejection of doors being knocked, closed in our face. Paul has no such positive view in this passage. He says, listen, your body is going to die. Your body is mortal. And the quicker you get to that reality, to realize that your body, the life you live in this body is mortal, the better you will actually live your life. It's not by denying our immortality, or it's not by denying our mortality that we actually get to go through life. It's not by denying or forgetting or not thinking about the fact that one day we will lie flat, lifeless, cold, in the dirt. It's not by putting that thought away from us now that will help us to live a better life now. Oh no, Paul would actually have us remember that our lives that we have in this earthly body is a life in a mortal body. Friends, unless Christ returns back, every one of us will die. And remembering that our bodies are mortal is actually very key 
for the health of our spiritual lives. We do not want to be enslaved to the fear of death, as we have heard Friday night. The devil keeps us enslaved to the fear of death. We actually want to face the reality that we are going to die. Friend, what is your plan for when your body will be laid flat in the ground? What hope, what confidence do you have for that time when others will put the coffin down and cover you with dirt and darkness and lifelessness will engulf you? What plan do you have for that? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And the reality is that we as a society do not like to talk about death. Remember one of the summer book readings we did a few years ago was a book whose title was somewhat surprising, Remember Death. An incredible book. If you've not read it, do your soul some good and read it. Matt McCullough. One of the reasons why Jesus seems irrelevant to so many in our society today is because we have found ways to push the thought of our mortality out of our minds. A common way to deal with our fear of death is to ignore our mortality in the present. But friends, ignoring the fact that our mortal bodies will die is not going to be a good plan for when it happens. For Christians, the resurrection of Jesus is a hope that we have that our bodies, our mortal bodies, will also rise again. This is our plan for Christians. This is why Christians love Jesus, because his resurrection is ours. His resurrection is ours. That's our plan for when our bodies will die. Friends, what's your plan when your body will die? In sharing the good news of the gospel, I want people to understand that the gospel calls us to actually die to ourselves here and now before we are laid dead in the ground. The gospel and Jesus, the power of, the, of, of Christ, blows up our fear of death. And I'm not talking just about the death that puts us in the grave. Jesus also blows up our fear of dying to ourselves in the here and now. It's the fear of losing control, the fear of, of giving up what we are or what we have, giving it all to Jesus. We are afraid of that in our mortal bodies. But part of the gospel is to call us, and this is what it means to put our faith in Jesus, is to actually say, I am willing to die now with Jesus. So that when I truly die in my mortal body, I can be resurrected with him. Oh, friends, we all will die. You either die now and will live later. Or try to live your life for yourself now and die later. Friends, the call to die to yourself now is worth it 
And this is what I want to tell people when I share the gospel. Not only that in coming to Christ, Christ calls to die to ourselves, but that that actually death to ourselves now is totally worth it because what he gives us instead is eternal life with him so that when we go to be placed in the grave, we have the confidence that we will rise again. Friend, God will not shortchange you. The devil tries to trick you and tell you that if you follow God now, that you're going to waste your life. That it's not worth it. Oh, friends, God will not shortchange you. The devil is trying to shortchange you. In dying to, with Christ now, you have the hope of living for all eternity. And that your very physical body, your mortal body, will be raised up. When Christ shall return. Oh friends, the resurrection of Jesus was not so that Jesus would live again. It's so you and I can live again. Perhaps you found Jesus irrelevant for you because you've made death to be irrelevant for you. Perhaps Jesus is a distant figure for you because death, in your view, is distant. Friend, the sooner you realize that you are mortal the sooner you may realize that you need Jesus. Seriously, friend, what is your plan for when your body will lie dead in a tomb? The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for our resurrection. Benefit number six, the resurrection makes Jesus our intercessor. The resurrection makes Jesus our intercessor. Still in chapter 8, look down to verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now Paul has already been making the case in chapter 3 and 4 that the death and resurrection of Jesus secure our right standing with God. So when he asks the question, who is to condemn? If Jesus died and was raised for us, there's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the news doesn't stop here. The news that Paul wants to get us to is that the benefit of seeing Jesus resurrected is that now we get Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And he's not silent. He is speaking. You know what he's speaking? He is pleading with the Father for us. He is interceding for us. He's our advocate. He is pleading with God the Father for you and I, for all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. This is what we get in the resurrection of Jesus. We get Jesus as our intercessor. Oh, friends, this is why we don't pray to saints. This is why we evangelicals don't pray to Mary, expecting them to intercede for us before God. If Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, is right next at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, what need do we have for other lesser servants? As important and as honorable as they are, to be interceding for us before the Father.
Jesus is our mediator and our intercessor. Oh, friend, just think with me for a moment. When you struggle with hopelessness, when you struggle with thoughts of depression, when you struggle with bitterness or with anger, craving for material possessions, or struggle with craving for respect from others and don't get it, or struggle with fighting off an addiction, remember that the resurrected Jesus is interceding for you before the Father. That's what we get in the resurrection of Jesus. An intercessor, the resurrected Christ interceding for us. You have his assistance to help you in your temptation. Let the resurrection of Jesus encourage you in your battle with sin, with hopelessness, with darkness. His resurrection makes Jesus our intercessor. And finally, the last benefit, the last wonder of the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Romans. The resurrection of Jesus is the confession we make for salvation. The resurrection of Jesus is the confession we make for salvation. Turn to chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says this. After all the wonders we have looked at, the six wonders so far, here's the last one he points us to. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. Friend, experiencing God's salvation is as simple as coming to terms with a death and resurrection of Jesus. He was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Can you say that Jesus, this Jesus that we proclaim today, that he is Lord, that he is the Son of God in power, he is the ultimate power over the universe and over your life. Do you want to hold on to your power? Do you want to hold on to your control? If you would relinquish it, if you would surrender it to the one who is Lord, to this Jesus, if you confess that God raised him from the dead, proving that everything Jesus said about himself, everything that Jesus did, and everything that the Old Testament said about Jesus is all true. If you come to that place of recognizing that this is true, you confess it, with your mouth, and you believe it with your heart, embracing it. Say, this is for me. You will be saved. Salvation is as simple as that. Oh, friends, the Jesus who was delivered for our sins and raised for our justification is Lord. He is God. He is sovereign. And when you entrust your life to him, believing that all that he has done is true and is true for you. God gives his life, pours his life into your soul. Oh, friends, 
the resurrection of Jesus is not just for Jesus, it's for us. Can you make this confession? Can you make the confession and believe with your heart that this is true? If so, we would love to talk to you after the service is dismissed. God tells us that those who make this confession of faith are also baptized. Declaring, showing visibly and, and portraying visibly the union, their union by faith with a, with a buried Christ and the resurrection with him. And those who, who make this confession of faith belong to the family of God, are brought into the family of God. Friends, we would love for us to celebrate that with you if God is working this power of the resurrection to bring you to his salvation. But if you have any questions about any of this, perhaps you might feel like, well, I don't have, a, I don't have that feeling inside of me. I don't, I don't have the bubbly thought stuff inside of me. Come and talk to us. We would love to talk to you to understand what God has done so that his resurrection would be for you. It's so for, for so many of us here, but it's also for you who are hesitant, who are not yet sure. If you want to talk more, we would love to talk with you more because the resurrection of Jesus is not just for Jesus. It's for us. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. It changes how you live. It changes how you die. The resurrection of Jesus reveals who is in ultimate power, makes possible our right standing with God, enables our new life with God, enables our fruitfulness for God, provides hope for our resurrection, makes Jesus our intercessor, and is the confession we make for salvation. Let's pray. O oh, gracious and powerful God, we praise you for raising Jesus from the dead. And we praise you that in his resurrection, you have worked everything we need for life and for our death. So that even in our death, we have hope of life with you. Father, we pray that this hope of the resurrection of Christ would be the hope that every one of us embraces and experiences. We pray that Christ would be exalted in our hearts today, right now. And even as we sing this last song of our gathering this morning, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on us in a special way. Bring salvation to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.